Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Warning. This episode contains strong language. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called Where Your Food Scraps Go. It's written by senior journalist Steve Kilgallen and is about the journey your food scraps take from your curbside collection, specifically the process for Auckland City's food scraps. Now, here is Steve Kilgallen reading his story, Where Your Food Scraps Go. The aroma at 90 Hanua Road, Papakura, on this bright cold morning is that hot vomit stench you get from the depths of your rubbish bin, magnified by a hundred. Andrew Fisher, who greets us with enthusiasm at the gates, describes it as rich. To Fisher, the tons of household food waste giving off this distinctive smell were a previously disregarded gold mine. He's pioneering taking it from landfill and turning it variously into fertiliser, heat for growing hothouse tomatoes, and gas for the national grid. And, if you live in Auckland, you're along for the ride. Since Auckland Council launched a food scraps recycling programme, complete with mantras about kai to kai and adverts featuring an oversized fairy, I've been a diligent part of Fisher's experiment. I dutifully fill a small plastic caddy on my kitchen bench with eggshells, potato peels and uneaten school lunch sandwiches. I decant it in pink compostable bags to a larger plastic bin. I ignore the plaintive complaints on my local Facebook page and leave it on the curbside for its weekly collection. Now, I'd like to see what happens next. The journey begins when my Coomera peelings are collected from the curbside in a truck driven by Deep Singh. He leaves Smart Environmental's yard at 6am and picks up the first of about 800 bins on this lower North Shore run at 7. He reckons about half the houses leave their bins out. I don't need to go to the gym after this, he says. I've already lost 11kg in six months. Singh tips my bin into a purpose-built hopper which takes up to 150 kilograms of food waste before it's drawn into the truck body, which in turn accommodates up to three and a half tonnes, by an auger designed not to compress it so it still retains the liquid content. Cameras on the hopper can help spot any contamination by non-food waste. The rate is about 4%, lower than for regular recycling bins. The council intends all these trucks will eventually be electric. Singh's load and those of trucks from routes around Auckland are consolidated at an old polystyrene plant in an industrial estate in Papakura in the city's south. And that's why we're there at 7.30am to get the guided tour from Fisher, a gregarious former army engineer, SAS officer and bio-waste evangelist given to enthusiastic statements about New Zealand catching up with the rest of the world. He owns 15% of EcoGas, 
who hold the contract for Auckland's food waste. The philanthropic Central Lakes Trust has the other 85% through its renewable energy provider, Pioneer Energy. Inside, piles of pink composting bags are mounded in those big concrete bays, usually filled with sand or gravel at garden centres. A substantial portion of the waste processed here comes from the commercial sector, with out-of-date, spoiled, retained samples and end-of-line leftovers. Buying up these leftovers to turn them into animal feed was Fisher's introduction to the sector. A truck arrives full of rejected chicken and pallets of recalled frozen raspberries are stacked in a corner. They've got 2,000 to work their way through. Fisher says in the bad old days they would simply have been tipped into landfill, packaging and all. This way the pallets and cardboard can be reused and the berries thrown into the mix. They have a machine to pre-break loads and to let them have a look at what might have snuck in. So far they've had lawnmower blades, knives and even an engine block. One UK plant Fisher visited had a trophy room with a stag's head and a bowling ball. But otherwise, says Fisher, this clean, tidy, organised warehouse is just a railway station. Most waste lingers less than six hours before being collated and heading south. Outside, one truck is being weighed, 38 tonnes, as it departs, and driver Zoe Henderson is waiting to take the next load. She's driven up from Topol with an empty truck this morning, but Fisher assures us they usually piggyback off loads of building aggregate coming north that would otherwise return unladen, part of a plan to combat criticisms that the food scraps road journey creates unnecessary carbon emissions. We will catch up with Henderson at the other end. Three hours south, in a flat paddock outside the Waikato town of Reparoa, sits Ecogas's biowaste plant, a shiny purpose-built slice of the future. There's thousands of these places all over Europe, Fisher assures us, but this is the first in New Zealand, and he has lots of nice things to say about Auckland Council's vision in backing it. He says, Kiwis, we are shit at inventing stuff, but we're great at grabbing something and going on with it. By the time we arrive, via a couple of coffee stops, Henderson has already driven a truck inside the main building offloaded, hosed it down and is ready to leave. She assures us she no longer notices the smell, but makes sure she keeps her boots outside the cab so it doesn't accompany her. Inside, a mound of tomato vines has joined the familiar pile of pink bags and raspberries and is already being attacked by a forklift, scooping them into a large hopper. Fisher looks on in delight. He says, This would all have gone to landfill, but this is a resource. This is gold. He laughs. You just can't see it. I won't quite pretend to understand the next bit well enough to explain it with any level of technical detail. But one machine strips and compacts any plastics left in the waste, processing about 22 tonnes an hour, which Fisher uses to make plastic roading blocks at another pilot plant. Another machine crushes the food into a thick and, thanks to the raspberries, dark purple liquid, which looks like a smoothie, if you can ignore the brown crust floating on top. From there it runs with an audible chugging noise through various pipes, out of the main building, into a series of giant steel tanks. I realise this all sounds a bit like the Wonka chocolate factory. Outside, as a cat from the neighbouring farm strolls past, 
Fisher shows me a control room full of computers and screens which, he says, can be monitored from overseas when nobody's there and ensures the tanks are maintained at the right chemical balance. Various bugs work away at the soup as it rotates between the tanks. And after about 70 days, during which it is acid shocked, pasteurized, and finally fed through a one millimeter screen to pick up any final impurities, it's ready to use, or, as Fisher puts it, it's gone from a thick spirulina to a strong black Turkish coffee. Ecogas general manager Elsbeta Buskova says that the recipe in the tanks remains quite constant, although much higher in protein than at European plants. She attributes that to many Aucklanders composting their fruit and veg and sending their meat and milk products to food scraps. Even 200 tonnes of raspberries arriving at once has little impact on the mix when there's 10,000 tonnes of waste in the tanks. As well as the fertiliser, the process produces methane, which is used to create electricity for the site. A water jacket captures the heat produced by that process. The heated water runs through steel pipes from the plant's back fence to warm the neighbouring turners and growers' immaculate tomato hothouse, where about 1.15 million tomato plants march in neat 100-metre rows into the distance. The plants are stripped back to reduce the risk of mould and insect infestation, and outside a truck of discarded vines is about to make the short journey back to Ecogas to join the sludge. The heated water also returns, going back along the pipes at a reduced temperature, and is used in the pasteurisation process. Soon, says Fisher, enough gas will be produced to return some to the national grid. Whether they use their food scraps bin or not, every Auckland ratepayer is contributing $71.20 a year to this new programme. That decision has kept individual costs low, but fueled some simmering rage on local Facebook groups. Among those irritated are the diligent citizens who already compost, those who think the environmental benefits are marginal, and one erudite contributor who wrote, Stick up your ass, council. I'm not paying for that shit, so fuck off. On the morning of our visit, Buskova had logged onto a local community page in Marnery Bridge to engage in debate with cost-conscious naysayers. She reckons it's more than worth a buck twenty a week. The Czech-born Buskova seems the perfect foil to Fisher's tiggerish temperament. With a master's and a PhD in anaerobic digestion, so this is my thing, she was involved as a consultant in the project's early days a decade ago, then reviewed the final design before ending up here full-time. This generation will be okay, says Fisher, who's playing a very long game. We've got to get through the next 10 years and normalise it for the next one. He's just announced a new plan in Christchurch and has plans for another north of Auckland as super city residents become more accustomed to the scheme. Auckland Council first began talking about a food scrap scheme back in 2010 and officials visited plants in Australia and the UK and considered two bids before agreeing a 20-year deal with a 10-year renewal with Ecogas. Other councils, such as Hamilton and New Plymouth, were already collecting and composting food waste, but Auckland were the first to try anaerobic digestion. The early take-up rate is about 30%, says Council's Elise O'Brien. But we want that to be way higher. We see huge environmental benefits, and the more people that use it, 
the higher the benefits. O'Brien and the other official leading the project, Terry Coe, happen to be on a certification trip to the plant on the same day that we visit. The early indications, says Coe, is there's been a decline in waste going to landfills in the north and west of the city, which will help council with rising government levies on landfill use. The medium-term goal is to deliver 40,000 tonnes of food waste per week, and council plans to shift rubbish collection from weekly to fortnightly could lift that higher. Coe sees the public in three camps. The enthusiasts, those who see the benefits and so engage grudgingly, and those for whom it's too much effort. People have a lot to think about these days, he says gently. This is an added thing, and it isn't high on their priority list. The family of a Melton teenager who died six years ago are, for the first time, appealing for further information about the girl's death. If I could go back now knowing what I know now, they'd be dead. Yeah, I'd be in jail. I'm Ryan Wolfe, and in season four of my investigative true crime podcast, Guilt, I travelled to Melbourne, Australia to investigate the mysterious death of 16-year-old Alana Cecil and uncover a shocking case of sex, exploitation, drugs and possibly murder. You'll find guilt on all good podcast platforms. And she got stolen away from me. And of those culprits who did it, I want to catch them. I want to get them. And they know who they are. And I'm, I won't, I won't give, I'll ever give up. Fisher is completely convinced anaerobic digestion is the future, both environmentally and financially. You can't be green and bleed red, he says. The council are not paying a premium. We had to be cheaper than landfill. He shrugs off any critics, such as waste management chemical engineer Timothy Brake, who told Business Desk earlier this year it was subsidised greenwashing, which gently amused Co and annoyed Fisher. Fisher says... I know Tim. I know Tim very well. They're upset they didn't do this first. Brake's argument to Business Desk was that food rots away to nothing in landfill, and when the methane it releases is captured, it generates sustainable electricity, while the food scraps program generates carbon emissions through the transport of waste. Our grandchildren will not thank us, Brake said. It just doesn't matter. He was even less impressed by composting programs. Maria Gutierrez-Guinez, who leads the biowaste team at the Crown Research Institute, ESR, says anaerobic digestion isn't new. Sewage works have used it to treat their brown water for years, and overseas it's also been used to deal with animal manure. In broad terms, she says, there are three ways to deal with food waste. Landfill may give you some recoverable methane, but that's it. Composting offers a good end product, but up to half of the matter can be lost by respiration. So anaerobic digestion is the most efficient technique. But there's a caveat. She's concerned about the miles the food travels, and says those transport emissions changes the equation substantially. It explains why Fisher is so particular about using trucks that would otherwise be travelling empty. The finished product sits in giant inflatable tanks, like those jumping pillows at campgrounds where it's tapped off into waiting tankers. 14 local farms take the fertiliser, and one around the corner has just received a delivery, where, as our final satisfying act, we watch a contractor spraying it across a paddock. 
Just before we depart, Guskova taps off a jerry can of the final product for me to take home. Fisher reckons it'll be dynamite on my struggling back lawn. As a test, I decant some onto my garden beds. It's impossible, of course, to know whether a few molecules of my Kumara peel have thus made the entire 555-kilometre round trip, but I'd like to think so. After I've carefully poured the sludge on the fruit trees and the clivias, I go inside to find my partner has examined the underwear of both younger children, assuming from the odour that one has soiled themselves. That was Where Your Food Scraps Go on the Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Steve Kilgallen and produced by Jen Black. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Hi, Michael Wright here. If you're enjoying the long read, I think you might like my new true crime podcast from Stuff. Hosted by me, Michael Wright, and Shannon Redstall, it's called The Lost Boy, The Disappearance of Mike Zhao Beckenridge.